You're listening to Jewish Matters with Rabbi Jonathan Feldman. Good evening, everyone. Welcome to the Jewish Matters podcast. We're in our Jewish spirituality series. And tonight we're going to be talking about Kabbalah and reincarnation back to the future. In 1980, Dr. Brian Weiss was treating a patient named Catherine. He was a psychiatrist, a mainstream psychiatrist who had impeccable uh, background. Graduated magna cum laude from Columbia University, uh, did his medical school at Yale, uh, graduate work at NYU, residency at Yale in psychiatry. And he had a patient that didn't seem to be getting matter. She had many different uh, neuroses. Um, she couldn't sleep. She had nightmares. She had a fear of drowning, uh, many other phobias, and it was preventing her from functioning in her life. And so he tried medication. He tried talk therapy, some psychotherapy, and then he decided to try hypnotherapy and asked her if she would be open to that. She agreed. And so he started to uh, in a hypnotic state, bring her to her past memories. And sure enough, there were several traumas that were uncovered. Uh, she had been pushed into a pool and almost drowned at six years old. She'd been traumatized at the doctors with a gas mask being put on her to put her under uh, when she was five. And there were memories of being abused by her father at three years old. And yet, even though she uncovered those past traumas and Often that will release uh, the issues at hand. It didn't, she didn't seem to be getting better. And so he tried again. He said, okay, let's go back further. And he says, go back to the time of your trauma. And she started to tell him about being in a village on the ocean, very primitive village. Now this is a woman without children. A big wave coming in and suffocating her, turning her upside down, drowning her, and the worst part, having her baby infant ripped out of her arms. And he thought that's interesting, uh, but what he then saw is that she started to get better. And he kind of felt, well, if connecting with such projected past traumas helps her, all the better. So he continued. And then what he uncovered was more past memory settings that seem to be in different contexts or different lives, if you will. And still not knowing what to make of this, she also related how she had uh, passed away and would relate near-death experience uh, uh, observations of her soul coming out of her body, seeing herself from above, some of the phenomena we've talked about in our past talks. And so at this point, uh, she talked about the world in between the different lives and talked to hold him how she had spiritual guides and teachers in those worlds. Now here's where the really extraordinary thing happened which was, she said, my guide is telling me that you should know that your father is here and so is your son. Now, Weiss's father had passed away and his son had passed away at a, right after birth 
And it wasn't anything he ever spoke about with anyone. The family kept it very private. And the father said, you'll know, tell him it's Avraham. Now his father's name was, name was Alvin. His Hebrew name was that. But here was a non-Jewish woman from Florida who didn't know Hebrew, who might have said Abraham, but Avraham. And he said uh, that he... Uh, he left this world because of his heart problems, as did your son whose heart was backwards. And sure enough, uh, Weiss's son had been born with a congenital heart defect where the heart was turned the wrong way and the arteries went into the wrong sides. And at this point, of course, Weiss was totally blown away and truly, truly shaken to his rationalist scientific doctor core. And this is where he started to open up to the possibility that what uh, Catherine was saying might in fact really be true. They might be real experiences, real memories that she had had from where? From past lives. And he started to look at some of the literature and this is in the mid early 80s. And sure enough, there are scholars such as Ian Stevenson, who've done extensive research, uh, particularly in India, where reincarnation is part of the culture. But uh, there was one Ravi Shankar, who is also the name of a famous musician in the 1960s, but a boy by that name who told him about Muna, uh, who was his previous life, a boy, in, he was a boy in his previous life. He described the toys Muna had and how Muna had been kidnapped and then killed. And sure enough, he researched it. Now, India, the people are extremely poor. There's no way to figure how they would have set this up. He traveled hundreds of miles by train, tracked down the village, tracked down the family. And sure enough, the toy corroborated, the, how the boy had died corroborated. And uh, these stories of Catherine and Ravi Shankar uh, were repeated over and over. Weiss wound up having over 700 patients that he did uh, hypnotic therapy on. And Ian Stevenson has hundreds of cases that were cross-referenced, some of them double-blind. So uh, eventually Weiss wound up writing a book called Many Lives, Many Masters. It went on to sell over a million copies and it really brought the idea of reincarnation into mainstream culture. Uh, for the first time, perhaps in ninth, since 1927, when uh, the Book of the Dead had been published in English, the Tibetan book on reincarnation. And uh, what Weiss also learned is that most cultures, almost all cultures, have uh, teaching of reincarnation, all traditional cultures. So the question we have to ask ourselves is uh, why? Why is there reincarnation? It might seem cool, it might seem a little wild, it might seem a little strange, um, but what is the significance of it, first of all? Second of all, uh, why does it happen? And what are we supposed to learn from it? So the question, the first question to ask is, are we supposed to learn from it? That's the first question, why? Because, interestingly enough, even though Judaism does have 
teachings on reincarnation, they're only found in the Kabbalah, in the teachings of Jewish mysticism. And the Kabbalah teachings were kept uh, hidden, so to speak. It's called Nistar, the hidden Torah. And they were kept exclusively for a select group of scholars for thousands of years and not taught on a popular level. Now, in the uh, 12th century, uh, and by the way, there was uh, controversy when in the 12th century, two milestones happened. Nachmanides, who was not just a Kabbalist, but the rabbinic leader, uh, gave hints to his, in his commentary on the Torah to reincarnation, to Gilgul Nishamot, as it's called in Hebrew. Galgal is a wheel, so the, the wheel that turns, that comes back. And the Zohar, the book of Kabbalah from the teachings of Rabbi Shimon Bar Yochai was disseminated across Europe and across Spain at that point. This was in the late 1200s. And those two works started to spread the idea. And then mostly in the 1600s, the Ari, Rabbi Isaac Luria and Svat, through his teach student, Rabbi Chaim Vital, uh, also taught, wrote an entire work, Shal Shar Gilgulim, The Gates of Reincarnation, extensive work on the subject. And that uh, spread it out throughout um, Jewish teachings. And has also has made its way into mainstream teachings. The earliest source we find that mentions it, and what's interesting is that most Kabbalistic teachings you can find somewhere in the Torah, somewhere in the Talmud. Souls, afterlife, we saw things like that. Even the idea of the Svirot are mentioned in the uh, Book of Chronicles. Um, but this is one area that you'd have a, be hard-pressed to find in mainstream teachings. There is one verse in Job about people who come back three and four times and who are brought back to return, but oblique reference. The earliest specific reference from the Book of Bahir, the Book of Enlightenment, uh, which is about 1500 years ago. And the Bahir says, a generation goes and a generation comes from the Book of Ecclesiastes. Now, generally, you'd think that means that the generations turn over. I attended a, a Brit, a circumcision. The grandfather had passed away a few weeks before. And, of course, the family felt a great consolation. They could name their, uh, the grandson after his grandfather. But the Bahir says no. Quoting Rabbi Akiva, it says, what does it mean? Generation goes, the generation comes, meaning it, it had gone and it comes back again. It had already come. So, uh, the Zohar tells us a principle that as long as a person is unsuccessful in their purpose in this world, then the Holy One, blessed be He, uproots Him and replants Him over and over again. So, something that is not accomplished in a previous life, we can be sent back to accomplish it again. And here's where we have back to the future, right? We're going towards the future, but coming from the past. It means the me whose life is unfolding in the future is a, uh, a reiteration of a life that I'd lived in the past. And the question we have to ask is, why does this happen? So, 
Um, the Bahir says again uh, that what is this like? Gives an analogy. Says it's like a person who planted a vineyard and they hoped to grow grapes, but instead the grapes grew sour. He saw that his planting and the harvest were not successful. And so what did he do? He planted, he uprooted everything and he tore it up and planted again. That is the analogy to the soul uh, having uh, been somewhat soured in a past life and needing to come back to rectify the, the, those uh, lackings and those blemishes that might have been with the soul. And so uh, the Vilna Gaon, great teacher from 400 years ago and his commentary in the book of Jonah, sorry, 250 years ago, uh, he says that when we're brought back to fix something, he said, how do we know what that is? So he said, often, the issues which are the most challenging for us, which are often prominent for us, which hold us back the most, which we struggle with the most, that is a sign that that is what we have come back to fix. That is the issue that we need to overcome and to resolve. Now, hearing all of this, um, we can look at this two ways. You can look at this and say that uh, this could inspire us and help direct us to figure out what I need to correct and make sure I do it so I don't have to come back again and again. On the other hand, it could just lead to an excuse to not have accountability. Well, you know, I was dealt a bad deal and you know, my, who I am now is really a function of what I was, not me, myself. And so it's an out. Or a person can feel like they're being dealt a fatalistic tragedy that they have and feel totally disempowered. Now, the Bahir does tell us that besides fixing our wrongs, uh, there's another dimension to why we're brought back again to reincarnation, to Gilgul Neshamot. And it says, it asks, why do bad things happen in this world? The age-old question that every theologian struggles with, wrestles with. And it says, because this person in the past had been an evildoer, and now they're being punished. But the Bahir then asks, in Talmudic fashion, do you punish a person for the wrongs of their youth? Implying, uh, we assume that they have done tshuva, they've repented for them. And then the Bahir answers and it says, I do not speak of this life. I speak of the fact that he was already here in the past and his companions said to him, how long will you continue to speak obscure words? So uh, they weren't quite sure if they really were hearing right. But uh, what we're being laid out here is several understandings of Gilgul, of the purpose of reincarnation. One might be uh, to teach us a lesson and to fix the things that, had, uh, that need to be fixed from past lives. Another might be uh, as a punishment or suffering for a previous life. And here we should note that Judaism doesn't view divine punishment as retribution, as God getting back at us. We view it as rehabilitative. In other words, suffering the Jewish view on suffering is that we go through suffering in order to elevate ourselves 
to purify ourselves, to learn lessons, to become a greater uh, soul and to focus upon our soul dimensions rather than our temporal uh, immediate gratifications and materialistic things. And to teach us humility, there are many le lessons that we learn from suffering. And, um, and so the punishment is a process to bring the person to learn the lessons and to grow from them, and in a sense to move beyond the wrongs that they have done. So teaching us lessons, sufferings, past debts. These are all ideas of why uh, we might be brought back. Now the fourth one, the good news is, we might be brought back not because of something bad, but we might be brought back actually to, uh, to uh, simply, uh, when the book of Job says a, a third or fourth time, so my Nachmanides understands that to mean that the person is brought back not to fix something, but now, now that they are fixed, now that they're an elevated soul, they're brought back to elevate those around them. And, um, and to bring righteousness into the world. So, uh, by the way, the Ari tells us that really almost all of us, all of us are old souls. There are no new souls again, because those souls are very high souls. And the very high souls that there are today might have been those that fixed, that completed their fixing, and now are brought in the world to bring, to bring blessing. Um, one more category of why someone might be brought into the world is also to do a mitzvah that they have not accomplished in their previous life. So let me give you a scenario. The scenario comes from the Baal Shem Tov. By the way, this is quoted in a great book called Soul Searching by uh, Yaakov Aster. And he quotes the story of the Baal Shem Tov. The story is that his student, the Magid of Mezerich, would often go on these journeys with his master. And this time his master sent him alone. So he said, go to a certain forest, a certain clearing, go up in the tree and just stay there and observe what happens. He goes up in the tree, he's waiting, waiting, waiting. Sure enough, after a short time, a soldier comes along, ties up his horse, goes into the clearing and falls asleep. Okay, uh, you have to have a lot of patience to be a student of the best. So uh, eventually he wakes up and when he gets up to leave, he drops a purse from his belt. The soldier leaves, a boy comes, sees the purse, opens it up, and sure enough, gold coins. Does a little dance and goes on his merry way. The soldier, a while later, comes galloping back. And in the meantime, an older man had come to the clearing, was drinking some water by the brook, and the soldier sees him and says, where's my money? Where's my purse? The old man says, oh, I don't know what you're talking about. And he starts to beat him. The old man insists that he doesn't know where it is. The soldier doesn't believe him and the poor man is beaten. And then the soldier goes on his way. Eventually the older man goes on his way and the mag is left. What is going on here? So he goes back to his master. He said, I was there. I saw it. And, uh, but I don't understand, you know, there was this old man and this boy and the money and the soldier. So the Baal Shem Tov tells him, okay, I'll explain it to you. He says that uh, the boy who picked up uh, the purse really was, uh, in the past, had owned the money 
and had been stolen by the soldier in a previous lifetime. And he asked, what about the old man who's being beaten? He said that man was a judge in the previous lifetime who'd passed a sentence on the soldier and had him beaten and he now was beaten in uh, measure for measure for what had been done in the previous life. Now, once again, you can ask, how is that fair? And the fact is that reincarnation is not something that Jewish tradition encourages us to focus upon. In fact, we said before that really this teaching is mostly kept uh, hidden or was kept hidden for many years, is not in the revealed Torah teachings, and is not something someone would necessarily invoke unless you really had something very trying that you needed to try and work out or explain. So I will give you uh, some other stories, some other examples. And here we're going to talk about souls traveling together into through different lifetimes. And this idea is found in the Torah as well, in the Kabbalah. Um, if you're interested in seeing the Hollywood version, there was a movie in the early 90s called Dead Again. Um, so you can check that out. Robert Williams even makes an appearance there. Um, Emma Thompson, I think. Okay, worth watching. A little spooky, but definitely, uh, a, uh, definitely int- intriguing. So, uh, the Rabbeinu Bachia, the student of Nachmanis, tells us that there were certain biblical figures who were the incarnation of previous figures, the reincarnation. So it says in Moshe and Yitro, Moshe and his father-in-law Jethro had this incredible closeness and love, it says, between them. Who were they? It says Moshe was a shepherd, and often there'll be hints in the text. Uh, and it says, Moshe Hayroit's son, Abel was a shepherd, Hayroit's son. And so it says that the love between Moshe and Jethro is a fixing of the fratricide between Cain and Abel. And that's why they were brought back to refix, to reconnect on that level. Okay, another one. On Yom Kippur and the ninth of Av, we read about the 10 martyrs, uh, that the 10 rabbis that were executed by the Romans, some of them for study Torah, for, being, for affirming their Jewish lives, and it says that when the decree was given, Rabbi Yishmael, the high priest, went up to the heavens to find out what was going on. And when he came back, he said, such is the decree from heaven. So Rabbeinu Bachi once again says that the background of the story was the Roman governor had asked the, one of the rabbis and said, you know, your ancestor Joseph was kidnapped, correct? And they said, yes, by his brothers, right? Yes. And what is the biblical punishment for kidnapping? So he said, capital punishment. And he said, were they ever punished for what they did? No. So you, the ten rabbis, will be punished. So Rabbi Shmuel, when he came back down from the heavens, such as the decree, Rabbi Nebuchadnezzar says, this was the decree because the ten rabbis were the reincarnation of the souls of the ten brothers of Joseph. And in a sense, they had to repay the debt of the deed that they had done. So, 
Now, once again, you know, it kind of astounds us to say, well, fine, maybe they're the reincarnations, but they don't have a memory of it. How is that fair? And what we also assume is that this isn't just happening on a reincarnation level. In other words, we live our lives in the here and the now and the present, and that's all the best we can do, and that's all we can do. So we assume that God is also giving us for this lifetime a purposeful experience that has a meaning to it as well. For these 10 great rabbis, Rabbi Kiva said that he finally had the opportunity to prove his uncompromised love for the Almighty by even giving his life, as it says in the Shema, to love God with all your soul. And he refused to stop teaching Torah, um, even under penalty of death. So each person in their present life also has a narrative that they're living through this experience. And it's happening on both levels at the same time. So that's why we wouldn't throw up our hands in desperation and say, well, fatalism or, or it's not fair. Now, um, another dimension of soul travelers is soulmates. Okay? Uh, the Talmud says that there are two versions of soulmates. One is the soulmates who are destined from before they're born. And the uh, such and such girl is destined for such and such boy. 40 days before they're born, this is lined up. But then it says that is the first couple or connection. But then it says Zivug Shani, the second one is according to a person's actions. And here we might understand that according to what had happened in the previous life, a couple might be brought back to fix, to re. re arranged to rectify that which had gone on in the previous life. Sometimes the relationships are even switched, a child to a parent, a parent to a child. Um, it can be quite mind-bending. But, you know, there are also some people who just always touch your buttons, who you're very close to. That could be a sign of something, previous baggage, that needs to be worked out. And if you do work it out, it's an incredibly high tikkun, fixing that is being done. So once again, to use it as a motivation to work on the things that are particularly challenging. Now, another fascinating sidebar of the Gilgal reincarnation story is uh, the stories of Holocaust souls. And uh, I know several stories firsthand, uh, People I know, one, a student who said that she had severe phobias, uh, being claustrophobia in a room, biting her nails, um, and of the dark, very, very severe. Once again, uh, really preventing her from functioning properly in life. And she went to life regression, and she actually went back to the memories of being in the cattle cars. And she was named after her grandmother who was deported to Auschwitz. And after she had that experience, she was released. Uh, the symptoms started to ease up and become much better. Someone else who I'm very close to always had, could never look at a Holocaust movie, never read a Holocaust book. And then, um, they uh, also, some claustrophobia, um, 
other other phobias, and they did the regression and came back to the memories of having been in a bunker as a child underground and the Nazis coming, pulling them out. And after that process was done, they no longer had these symptoms so severely. But the most fascinating is a, uh, a rabbi, Jonathan Gershon, who was a therapist and he worked for the federal penitentiary system. That was his job. So he gets assigned to Minnesota in the middle of nowhere, and he, uh, he puts up a shingle, a side practice, he's a therapist, and he has these nine, and he's a rabbi, no Jews around where he was in the area, or very few, and people start coming to him, non-Jews, and they start coming to him with Holocaust memories. And one explained how as a young child they were in a second-hand shop and there were some skull caps. He insisted to his grandmother to put on, buy a skull cap and he would wear it whenever he studied. Another one knew tunes that seemed to come from the past were actually Hasidic melodies. And some even knew, and there's this phenomenon of people knowing languages, they knew Yiddish words, unexplainedly. So, um, in Beyond the Ashes, if you read his 10 of the dozens of uh, case studies that he did, um, there is even a corroboration where in the bunker, in the Holocaust memory, there's a certain clock, and this person got a thought to go to this antique shop, and sure enough there they found the clock. Now, once again, you could say suggestive, you could say projection, but uh, our story of Catherine and Brian Weiss's practice really um, is cross-corroborated. Now, the Holocaust souls, it's difficult to understand, and how do we make heads or tails of this? One understanding might be, and by the way, a number of them did wind up converting to Judaism. One understanding might be that uh, the Maral, the great Rabbi Loi of Prague from the 16th century says, that converts are Jewish souls sent down, put into a non-Jewish body that are meant to make their way back to Judaism. In other words, they'd been a Jew in a previous life. That's one understanding of it. Another one is that people who die uh, tragically and violently, uh, sometimes there's a phenomenon where they have difficulty finding rest. And um, the story is that Rabbi Nachman of Breslov, the famous burial place in Uman, and no one understood why he lived there in the end of his life because it wasn't a particularly religious town, but it had been a place of massive cemeteries from the Cossack massacres in the 1600s. And in his writings he says that he went there to help release the souls who were trapped from this violent death. So could it be that uh, the Holocaust souls were brought back very quickly and maybe there weren't enough Jews around being born? Uh, for them to come back. So, we don't know uh, speculation, but uh, amongst Jews and non-Jews, I've encountered numerous stories of Holocaust memories. Uh, Finally, uh, the last sidebar is the question of reincarnation into animals. And if reincarnation is controversial in Judaism, In animals, it's even more controversial. And there are rabbis who are absolutely against any such idea. 
But the, once again, the Ari, the great Rabbi Luria, the Kabbalist from Svat, he uh, talks about this phenomenon of people who might have done certain uh, very bad transgressions who are sent back into animals to live out this world and then move on uh, to another life after that. Of course, in India, the cows are held sacred because of the belief that uh, cows are reincarnated from human souls and are sacred animals. Um, but the Ari uh, holds this view as well. <laughs> I was musing with one of my teachers that we'd been doing an outdoor service, a balcony minion, um, for the past few months. And there were two birds who just constantly would alight, chirping away right there for our minyan over and over and over. Or a number of years ago when I was in Yeshiva in Jerusalem, there was a cat and he would just sit there on a high spot looking out over uh, the Beit Midrash, over the study hall and taking it all in. So, uh, old souls brought back, who knows? As I mentioned though, many are against this idea of reincarnation in animals. So, what do we do with all of this? The really, the main message, the important message is, we're told that we're put into this world to grow and to evolve and to learn, and that perhaps that evolution is a result of baggage that came from a previous life, of things that weren't fixed, of mistakes we made, of relationships that need to be rectified. And uh, as I mentioned before, if there's an issue which is a particularly big challenge in our life, a weakness that we need to particularly work on, a person is prone to anger, a person can't control their physical drives, a person has um, uh, a laziness or a relationship, a person close to us that touches our buttons particularly, that must, might be a sign of these issues are things that are particularly need to be worked out and that we want to address and try and rectify so that we don't have to come back again uh, to do that as well. But we did say that even if we fix it all, we could be brought back again. And so uh, the, uh, the, the Bahir also says that people don't realize that we are judged when we leave this world and we're judged when we come back into this world as well. What does that mean? That means that God puts us back in, in the circumstances which will be propitious for us to actualize, work out, uh, rectify the things that might still need to be done. Uh, hope you found this interesting and meaningful. And with this, we really wrap up our series on the soul and the afterlife in our Jewish Matters podcast. Next Sunday night, same time, 8 p.m. Israel time, 1 p.m. Eastern Standard Time, we'll be starting a series on finding our purpose in life. And um, tune in for that. Wednesday night, we're doing our Extraordinary Jewish Personalities. This Wednesday, we'll be doing uh, the incredible uh, Abba Kovner, the real first Avenger um, who fought in the Vilna Ghetto, with the partisans in the Israeli War of Independence, and we'll also learn about his secret vendetta after the war, the Avenger upon Nazi officers. So tune in for that on Wednesday. And of course, all of these talks can be found on the Jewish Matters podcast, 
which is on Spotify, Apple, Google, um, and you can uh, subscribe there to the podcast. Have a good evening.